0: Megaware aware Keelguard, a proud supporter of Bass Edge Radio since 2006.
1: That's right, Aaron. Bath Nation should be sure to protect your boat with the industry's first and do-it-yourself keel protector. We have a great Lucas Oil spotlight today, and we'll learn about our vision from Dr. Doug Jordan and the importance of our eyes and how proper eyewear will improve our fishing.
0: Kurt, also this episode is chock full as we will get some answers for our O'Reilly Auto Parts professional parts people, listener questions from the pond boss himself, Mr. Bob Lusk. This is going to be fun. Let's get this show rolling.
2: in three four. you're listening to the edge everything bass fishing coming to you nationwide from the bass edge studios
1: Well, here we go. The show is definitely rolling and a big one we have today. As we discussed a little bit in the intro, we got so much feedback from our Bass Edge listeners. They love these advanced techniques and learning a little bit more outside of the typical patterns and different things. Of course, we've been talking more about bait presentations and getting real detail on those in these last few episodes and always discussing the patterns that we need to follow to locate the fish. But here we are today with some Great information on eyewear, and we're going to tap into our biological expert, Bob Lusk, the pond boss, Aaron. So just really excited, probably a little bit of extended episode today with all the information we're going to try
0: and cover. Well, it absolutely is, and, you know, this is kind of the master's course in what we're doing, but I think it's important as our sport demands anymore with all the changing technology to be able to understand this. We're trying to pack as much as what we can into an episode, and like you said, given the response from the listeners, this is what's wanted so exciting very very exciting you know and Kurt too remember that this is one element when you look at Bass Edge Radio the landscape and for as long as what we've been doing this this is meant to be paired with other forms of information and education so you get to hear sure. it here you get to go out on the water try it out but also you know I think about okay here we are in spring and, and across the country we're starting to have ice melt finally for a lot of people <laughs> you know certainly down south they're well into the post spawn and some things like that but I've Remember back when we were beginning anglers, and then it's to say, okay, what do I do with that information? Well, don't forget we have the opportunity to go out to Bass Gold, it's not related to Bass Edge, but we're so passionate about that because it's technical data, it's empirical data that is based upon a lot of results over a long period of time. So you're able to log on there, check out for the specific lake that you're going to, what are the patterns, what are they catching them on, what's the history is shown. So that's another great tool to pair with what we're doing to go out and have that success on the water.
1: Yeah, you're right. You know, the Bassgold.com is a great place to get tons of information. And quite honestly, you'll see on Bassgold.com that this is a great time of the year to go fishing. You know, you see a lot of families fishing in the summertime and really sometimes they're kind of missing the ball on when the best fishing is when they go out fishing in the summer. But this is a great time of year when the fish are shallow to take a kid fishing and uh, really get them involved in the outdoors. It's a typical time of year when you can get a lot more bites so they stay more engaged. So i encourage all of Bass Edge Nation to take a kid fishing sometime in April and May before it does get super hot out there and the fish start to get a little bit deeper. This is the time of year they're on the bank and fishing is good. I tell you what, Aaron, it is time that we've got to roll right into our Protect the Harvest Marine Tech minutes with chemist Mark Niggas.
2: First by land and now by sea.
0: is a man whose individual body parts have separate IQs. ProtectTheHarvest.com is the segment sponsor of this week's Tech Minute with Chief Chemist Mark Negus of Lucas Oil Products. Mark, as anglers we expose our watercraft trailers, ATVs, tow vehicles, to the harshest of elements, sand, water, and extreme temperatures. What is the primary difference in marine grease versus traditional grease?
1: Okay, well, marine grease was specifically designed to combat the harsh environment that it's exposed to. What we've done is we've created our marine grease so that it gives rust and corrosion protection in both freshwater and saltwater applications. It contains components that are not typically found in your traditional grease, which is used for wheel bearings and chassis lubrication. We put an awful lot of resources. Search and time into it to make sure that the parts that are exposed to these types of adverse conditions will last for the life of the trailer and the boat itself. Well, hey, Mark, that's real interesting. Should I even consider using marine grease on like lawn tractors, ATVs, UTVs, dirt bikes to, you know, have that added protection? Yeah, you can use marine grease in all automotive applications. It is uh, what's referred to as NLGI certified, that's National Lubricating Grease Institute, as an NLGI number two grease for chassis lubrication and also will bring lubrication. It's a very versatile product that can be used not only in marine applications but also automotive applications. As always, Mark, it's a hoot having you on because not only does my IQ go up, Aaron and I are able to replenish our stable of inappropriate jokes <laughs> after talking with you. It's just too bad we just can't say them on air. You're tuned in to Bass Edge
2: Radio. Two fishermen came together with one agenda to construct bass boats superior in design and build with a flawless finish with our boats exhilarating handling and smooth ride extreme rough water just doesn't exist we're not just building a boat we're building a legend legend boats
1: Hi, this is 2014 Bassmaster Classic Champion Randy Howell, and you're listening to Bass Edge Radio with Kurt and Aaron.
0: Our Lucas Oil Angler Spotlight segment has us continuing our advanced education series detailing a topic that really impacts anyone who spends time in the outdoors. He's an avid angler, accomplished hunter, mainstream sports enthusiast, and more importantly, a doctor of optometry for more than 20 years who understands the science of polarized eyewear. We're fortunate to have the industry expert and vicious vision founder Dr. Doug Jordan. Welcome to the show, Dr. Jordan.
1: Thanks for having me, Aaron.
0: You know, Dr. Jordan, during our uh, recent meeting that you and I had, really, I should say more of like a uh, education class, you kind of shared your vision, pardon the pun, for founding a new eyewear company, really in a product category that is inundated and, in my opinion, overpopulated with competing brands. You know, and I left that meeting realizing how little I knew about the polarized eyewear technology for somebody who certainly spends a lot of time on the front deck of a bass boat. You know, before we kind of jump into the science, why are you so passionate and why did you feel so so compelled to go toe-to-toe with eyewear industry giants to bring about a proper change in this new technology that's so needed in the industry?
1: Well, I'll tell you, Aaron, this all happened by accident, really. I had befriended Greg Munier at Vicious Fishing about a year and a half ago we were talking about outdoor products that I was wanting to bring to the industry and we'd had some uh, casual discussions and conference calls regarding these products and one day I received a call from Greg and uh, they had a licensing deal with a previous uh, Sunwear brand and uh, he was trying to get one of his anglers in one of Kurt's colleagues Bill Lowen into their sunglasses for the uh, Classic in Tulsa last year and he was having difficulty wearing the lenses just wasn't seeing much with them. So Greg wanted to just ask me, you know, why is he having trouble wearing these lenses? And I'd never seen the glasses but I knew the price point they were at. I knew how the technology had been produced and I explained a few things to him. He said well thank you, I appreciate that. And I got to thinking that night, well maybe I can help these guys out. I've been prescribing, you know, lenses for over 20 years. have access to all the latest technology and I called Greg and told him that I thought I could get Bill in some lenses he would like. The lenses I recommended that we put Bill in are called Xperio UV lenses. They're made by a company called Essilor. Essilor is the largest atomic lens manufacturer in the world, and their research and development is uh, second to none. So we made him a set. He wore him in the Classic. He wore him on the next event. And uh, he called me personally that night heading to Falcon the next day. And he said, what in the world did you make me here, Doug? And I said, well, just—you know I, I explained to him. And he said, well, let me tell you. He said, I pulled into a cove. And he said, I've never seen fish and structure like what I was seeing with these lenses. And I said, really? And he said, yeah. So that's how it's all evolved, and suddenly some other anglers started coming to me. Another colleague of yours, Kevin Short, who has a very complicated prescription, was frustrated with his sunglasses, and I was able to put him in a high-end, no-line bifocal or progressive, we call it, and he called and told me the same thing, and suddenly we realized that we may be onto something here that pertains to the fishing industry that could truly be game-changing because, you know, I'm a huge outdoorsman, but I can't say that I'm really sight fish. I hadn't, but when the professionals that started calling that are used to using the best equipment in the world were telling me that they were seeing more fish and structure than ever before. That's when we got excited, and that's when the guys at Vicious asked if I could put together a somewhere line that features this technology, and 12 months later, it's here, and we're very excited. I truly believe we're going to change the game on the water, especially with professional anglers and weekend anglers that do sight fish and want to see that structure that's so important. Well, Dr. Jordan, you know, as an elite touring pro, obviously, as you've discussed, you know, my eyes are super critical to my success, you know, seeing the structure, or possible bedding a fish or just cruising fish in the shallows. And obviously, you know, with all the hours that we spend outside, preventing the eye fatigue during tournaments and, you know, even with my guiding, you know, eye safety, you know, whether it's somebody with a, you know, coming back on a cast, you know, there's lots of hooks flying around and eyes are obviously very important for functional living in general. What are the factors that anglers need to know about how those translate into success and longevity on the water? Well, one of the most important things with any eyewear is, protection. Like you said, there's hooks flying around. You're going across the lake. Bugs are above the water. You may take one. So the first thing I would recommend is people need to be aware of how sunglasses provide protection for their eyes. And one of the other things you need to protect against is UV radiation. One of the challenges when you're on the water is you have light radiating from all directions, especially reflecting off the water. And when you talk about longevity and spending hours on the water, you need to have that protection. And UV protection is ultimately the most important thing. You know, I see all you guys now wearing long sleeves. I know back in the 70s and 80s when I was growing up, we barely wore shirts on the water. You know, <laughs> uh, you're covering your skin. I mean, I think that as a society, we realize the importance of protecting yourself from UV radiation and the long-term damages and how it applies to the eyes. I mean, when you talk about macular degeneration and cataracts later in life, probably UV radiation protection is the most important aspect of a good pair of sunglasses.
0: You know, for me, I wear is a lot like fishing and the choices seem just really overwhelming, and I'm not real sure mm-hmm. how to go about or really even who to believe when selecting the right pair. You know, most of us are kind of sold this branding concept or mm-hmm. a, a proper, well-oiled marketing campaign, or it's it's based on, you know, some decision of style. What mm-hmm. are the criteria, and you know, the thing I appreciate about you, you're the eye doctor. I mean, you, mm-hmm. you see, you treat patients that come to you on a regular basis that have eye conditions, but what Absolutely. are those critical components? components? components, you know, that polarized eyewear and really outdoor eyewear need to have? In my opinion, I guess this is the doctor speaking
1: uh, in me because I see so many different eye diseases and things. And, you know, we try to eliminate any factors that contribute to problems later in life. And you try to educate people that it's important to think about these things at a young age. You know, that's why we slather our kids with sunscreen and such. Protection from UV radiation is the most important thing when you're wearing a pair of sunglasses. And then when you talk about performance on the water. You have to have increased contrast sensitivity, Kurt. You want to see that structure in those fish and, you know, you have to have pure optics. There are certain lens technologies that are more advanced in providing better optics than others and those are the factors that I think people need to look at when they're trying to choose a good pair of sunglasses and typically to get all of those factors, uh, you're going to pay a premium price, you know, you're not going to get that in a 40 or $50 pair of sunglasses. And Dr. Jordan, you talked about lenses a little bit there. Aaron just mentioned it as well. I've been told that glass lenses and polarized sunglasses are the best choice. Is that true? Is that correct? Is that the best choice as outdoorsmen we can have for the water? In the world of optics, there's three primary materials that lenses are made out of. You have glass, you have what's called a CR39 resin, and then you have polycarbonate. And they each have advantages and disadvantages. From a pure optic standpoint, glass has what's called the greatest ADDE value, which is how much much aberration or distortion light has as it passes through the material. So glass typically provides the highest optics, with CR39 resin being very close. It's very difficult for the human eye to distinguish the difference in clarity between those two products. Polycarbonate doesn't have quite the optical clarity as glass and CR39 resin, but polycarbonate is very impact resistant. So when you talk about brands like the Wiley X and Oakley, that you know the military type grade lenses, those lenses are typically more impact resistant compared to uh, glass of CR 39. When you talk about glass, one of the major drawbacks to glass is the weight. Whoever mm-hmm. worn a pair of glass lenses, they're difficult to wear for a long period of time comfortably just because they're so heavy. Right.
0: Well, and doesn't that translate into, you know, when you have that weight on your nose? I mean, I know that mm-hmm. some glasses that I've had in the past, man, after wearing them for a period of time, my head feels tense, maybe headaches. Yeah. And, it, and it just actually, it kind of becomes counterproductive to what I'm trying to accomplish.
1: It is and that's why uh, for the Vicious Vision line all of our lenses are precision ground ophthalmic cr 39 blanks because you get the same optical qualities as glass but they're just feather like. They're very, very comfortable and uh, that's why I chose CR39 resin and most of your uh, lenses that you wear that are ophthalmic grade when you just go to your eye doctor to get it, in a normal everyday pair of glasses are going to be some form of a CR39 resin versus like a polycarb. We don't do much glass work anymore in our Industry just because of the weight and it's very difficult to work with.
0: And you basically said this was how your technology was kind of birthed, but for those mm-hmm. that need to wear contacts or maybe a prescription in their eyeglasses while outdoors, you know, there's been kind of this push to put the prescription lenses in the eyewear, like you mentioned, mm-hmm. so that you don't have mm-hmm. to deal with two types, two pairs or maybe a pair that fits over your existing pair of eyeglasses. However, you know, this is both expensive and time-consuming process, is it not? Yeah, it
1: is an expensive a process a really good prescription pair of polarized sunglasses, they are cheap. You know, and that's one of the barriers that I think a lot of people face when they want a good pair of prescription sunglasses. One of the things that I'm wanting to change about the industry with Vicious Vision is currently we sell premium brands in my offices. Unfortunately, if someone wants to come in and get a premium brand name pair of prescription sunglasses, they're required to buy an expensive Plano or non-prescription pair, and then we uh, put the prescription lenses in and basically take the high-end non-prescription lenses out and hand them to the customer or patients. So essentially, they're paying full price for a Plano pair, or non-prescription pair, only to use the frame. And that has been an aggravation for both me and my staff over the years. So with Vicious Vision, people requiring a prescription, we can just supply the frame only so that they can get that brand name that they want and get the high-end Essilor lenses in their prescription. And I think that's going to reduce the uh, cost and the entry level into a nice pair of prescription sunglasses by at least $150 to $200. So I'm, I'm excited about that, of our lineup. that's a huge difference my wife wears glasses and we go through that all the time because she wants a particular style or something that's yeah. going on and sure. uh, you run through those obstacles all the time so that's great but Dr. Jordan we're at the halfway point of the interview and so glad that you're here but we owe our listeners a quick break you're listening to Bass Edge Radio presented by Megaware oh, oh, oh.
0: We are back on Bass Edge Radio with Dr. Jordan, founder of Vicious Vision, and this segment of the show is brought to you by Lucas Oil High Performance Marine Products. From real oil to two cycle outboard oil that surpasses all manufacturers' requirements, visit them at lucasoil.com. It's Works.
1: Doctor, I got a quick question. Another quick question. we have many of these, but we've all seen the advertisements and claims of sunglass manufacturers. Of those claims, what are the biggest fallacies out there? Well, the biggest what I see is that pretty much all sunglasses will say, well, it's 100% blocking of UVA and UVB rays. And what most people don't realize, Kurt, is that all bad things come off the backside of sunglass lenses. When you're on the water, especially, most people don't realize that UV radiation coming into the eye is actually bouncing off of the backside of the lens. Severe glare is bouncing off the backside of the lens. And if you don't have proper backside UV absorption and glare reduction, the problem is when you put on a pair of sunglasses that just state they have UVA and UVB blockage, when you put on a pair of lenses, your pupils will dilate more because it's a darker environment. And that just opens the door for more bad things come into the eye. So the back surface technology on lenses is the most important thing when you're looking at a good pair of sunglasses. So I just left the tournament at at St. John's River and and it was a big sight fishing event. And Mm -hmm. not only many of the other anglers, but myself, you know, I always see much better if I keep my hood up during the day or if I have something that's covering really any light penetration from behind me. Is that the reason why or why is it that I'm able to see so much better with my current glasses that I use in the water if I'm looking basically from the dark into the light. What's the process there and why is it that way for the eyeball of the pupil? Yeah, it's coming right back to what I was just saying. Basically, when you had your hood up, or I was seeing some pictures from the St. John's event where guys were on the deck to their boats with their hands cuffed around the sides of their glasses, yeah. they trying to block out that peripheral light that's coming in and reflecting in a mirror-type fashion off the back of the lens because it greatly decreases what we call your contrast sensitivity, and that's the ability to see contrast in the water. And, you know, the secret sauce behind vicious vision is nothing but the lenses. We just dropped the Ferrari engine in those frames that S-Lore developed, and the Back surface technology, well, it's on the front and the back, actually, absorbs all reflection and glare. That's why it's important to have that technology on the backside when you're talking about sight fishing so that you don't have that reflection and glare when you're looking out and trying to see those bedding fish or trying to see that stump or log or whatever you're trying to you know, sure. target.
0: Well, let's shift gears a little bit to some of the things that also is is really one of my pet peeves and, and that's you know a lot of times I've had glasses on my head or on my cap, you know, stuck them up there to do something. I bend mm-hmm. over, they fall off, they hit the pavement, the gravel whatever. Talk to us about scratch resistance.
1: Yeah, it's an important factor. When we get back to some of the different materials, that we were talking about glass earlier. One of the advantages to glass is that it, it's typically very scratch resistant. And so is CR39. Polycarbonate does scratch easier. But ultimately, with the technology that's out there these days, these high-tech coatings that we're able to put on these lenses, and with the one that Essilor developed with Experial UV, you can make a lens very, very, very scratch resistant, and never scratch-proof, much you, but you can make a lens very scratch resistant. That's important, especially if you're going to make a $200 investment in a pair of sunglasses. You want that durability there. And Any of your uh, higher-end lenses typically are going to be more scratch resistant, and that's why they're more expensive because those processes are not cheap that have been developed over the years. But it is an important aspect to have that scratch protection for
0: sure. You know, another thing is I'm sure all three of us on a regular basis get made fun of because we look like raccoons during the fishing season. That alone speaks volumes for something that you alluded to earlier the effects the sun has not only on our eyes but just our our Mm -hmm. skin and everything else break down lens colors because this is one area that even though I've experimented with my preferences on a cloudy day versus a sunny Mm -hmm. day versus Mm -hmm. just a general all-purpose you know how does that kind of come into the equation of being able to see in the water
1: Well, one of the things that is important to understand is, you know, as human beings, we see color in three primary colors, uh, red, blue, and green, and then the brain takes those three wavelengths, and that's how we get other tones, uh, your yellows and such. The blue wavelengths of light that come into the human eye do not focus very clearly on the retina, and that's why... Have you ever worn, like, a, uh, a yellow shooter lens? You know, some snipers in the military, if you've ever worn a yellow shooter lens uh, in the woods or, or whatever, you'll see it with greater contrast, and the reason that is is because anything that's in the yellow, brown, copper tones filter or block out blue wavelengths of light, and that's why on the water, I don't know what lens you found that you prefer, Kurt, but most of the anglers that I've been working with over the last 12 months have found that the coppers and the browns and the ambers are giving them much, much greater Contrast, I'm not surprised by that because it is blocking the blue wavelengths of light that the human eye just can't see very well. So from a contrast sensitivity standpoint and being able to see into the water and and even just driving, I mean, if you've ever put on a pair of brown lens versus a gray lens, things seem brighter. Grass seems greener, and that is why. I think some of the saltwater guys, though, they're in that... Huge, just extremely bright blue environment may prefer more of a gray lens. A gray lens is going to give you greater light filtration, but you won't get that blue blocking enhancement like you will with a brown or an amber or a copper. And real quickly, does the mirror lens, is that giving us any benefit for our vision, or is that just a style that looks cool? <laughs> yeah, mirrors are just style only. There's no improvement in optical quality with a mirror lens. As a matter of fact, you want as much light coming into the eye as possible. You just want to filter out the bad stuff. And I've always felt like a mirror lens, you know, the idea behind a mirror is it's reflecting light back away from the lens. And, and that's not really what you want. You want all the light right. coming in. You just want to take out the bad stuff. You know, a good quality mirror uh, lenses from some of the manufacturers are very scratch resistant. But one of the other drawbacks is if you ever do get a scratch on a mirror, it sticks out like a sore thumb. And yeah. you know, I've had mirrored sunglasses before and paid good money for them, even though I can get stuff at cost with what I do. And, uh, you know, once I get scratches and they start, look a little ratty, I guess you could say. I just, I don't like wearing them. They just right, don't look right. as nice. How about this question, too, wh- when you're about, you know, scratching or having some potential issues and that, you know, you kind of go back to the safety aspect. How about, you know, driving a bass boat at 70 uh, in mm. Texas? We got some big bugs. <laughs> so, uh, can, can the, uh, of course, they say everything's bigger in Texas, right? But yeah, eyeglasses is. withstand an impact of, you know, encounters such as that. How does that type of lens that you're describing affect it? with uh, those types of impacts? Well, most of your premium brands, uh, whether they're polycarbonate, CR39, or glass, are going to be able to withstand impacts like that. Polycarbonate being the most impact resistant, if you talk about just a pure high-speed projectile safety issue, you're going to have greater protection with polycarbonate, but you are going to lose some optics. You Mm. just have to find the right balance. But primarily, if you had on a pair of any of the premium brands that are out there, the lens quality is such that you're going to be protected from a projectile of that
0: nature in just about any situation. Kurt, just duck a few more times when uh, you've got a client (laughs) in the boat, you know, so (laughs) but hey, no, you know, as we kind of wind down here so far, obviously, we've been focused on, you know, the polarized eyewear specific to bass fishing, Mm -hmm. but I know a lot of our listeners, and even myself, you know, I'm a practical kind of guy. If I'm going to spend a dollar, I'd just soon be able to use it for four things versus just one. What are your suggestions for the all-purpose pair of glasses, whether you're fishing, water sports, driving, playing tennis, golf, whatever the occasion is?
1: Well, I think it all starts with the lens, guys. I mean, you can have a really cool frame and put a really cheap lens in, and at the end of the day, you have a cheap pair of sunglasses. And I think the first thing people need to start with is the lens technology and choosing what color is going to work best for them in the different situations that they're going to be in. And then secondly, if you're looking at just making the investment and having one pair of glasses, make sure that the frame then is of the style that you like, but also is going to perform in all the different situations that you're going to be in. You know, uh some frames are going to be better for outdoor activities, and if you just need a pair for driving, uh, you may require different frame needs, but I think the thing I would emphasize all the listeners to do when they go out there is start with the lens technology. Find a lens that's going to give you the best performance, and most any uh, sunglass manufacturer is going to have a pretty good selection of frames that you can then choose from that are going to suit all your needs and, and all the different environments you're going to be in. That's good information. Dr. Jordan, it has been fantastic talking with you today. I can assure you that- that things are already starting to have a big buzz out on tour. You know, you described your history in a short time frame that this is already coming together and for all the Bass Edge listeners out there, this is something you really need to pay close attention to and understand what Vicious Vision is all about and what Dr. Jordan is providing us because it's making a huge difference for anglers on tour. But doctor, what are your final thoughts you have for our Bass Edge Nation and where can uh, listeners go to find out even more information about LensTech Technology of Vicious Vision? Well, we're a new company, so one of the greatest frustrations I'm facing right now is we're having all of these questions come in where can I get these? And that's our main push right now is working on our distribution network. We will be doing that through Esselor and their large presence in the industry. But right now, people can go to our website, it's vicious. Vision.com. And you can order, actually, uh, online and non-prescription offerings. Also, if you need a prescription pair, there's uh, detailed instructions on how you can print out the uh, pair that you would like and then take that to your local eye care provider, all prescription Vicious Vision sunglasses. You can get that technology through a uh, list of local eye care providers. There's a search engine on our website where people can go to find out where this technology can be acquired locally for them. Just check out our website. There's information about the lens technology or shoot us an email. I'd love to hear from you. Outstanding. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. We're going to have to take a quick break. You're listening to Bass
0: Edge Radio.
2: Bass Edge, Season 3, now on DVD at BassEdge.com.
1: Bass Edge listeners and of course our listener question segment, the O'Reilly Auto Parts, the parts people. We have the opportunity to bring in Bob Lust, the pond boss to clear up a few questions that sometimes come across our desks here at Bass Edge that aren't quite right for the pro anglers, but often are great to understand to improve our bass fishing skills. Bob, welcome to the show and thanks again for joining us today. Hey, it's always a pleasure, guys. I love hanging out with
0: you guys. Well, Bob, before we dive off into kind of the this- science and picking your mastermind what's been new in your world income tax returns <laughs> <laughs> today is the day of reckoning
1: oh my gosh i tell you what i'm gonna do some pretty fun stuff working with a landowner for about two years as we go through the planning phases to build his dream fishing lake in southern oklahoma it's going to be fantastic that was about 90 acres and it's just you know, creating the habitat and thinking through how he's going to use it, the permitting process, and working with the bulldozer guys. Another thing I'm doing that's fun is I'm working with the South Dakota State University on a research program studying some different aspects of largemouth bass in about 150 acre private lake. So. There's some
0: fun stuff going on. I'm having a ball in the life of a marine biologist, and obviously someone who loves the outdoors loves to participate in the sport on the other end with a rod and reel in the hand you know i'm I'm still waiting for that invitation and membership to all these private lakes that you manage
1: <laughs> what, are you, what are
0: you doing tomorrow? <laughs> yeah exactly, but uh, you know we do have business to cover, and our first question for you comes in from our bass edge Twitter account, and Jason Morris would like to know. I'm curious how the bass population and migration routes are affected by what a lake is stocked with. Good question there.
1: Oh my gosh, I love that question. You know, ironically, we're doing some research to try to figure that out. The project I mentioned a while ago, we have radio tagged 25 largemouth bass that range in size from two pounds to about eight pounds. And we're using telemetry to check their movement patterns over about a two year period, and we're 18 months into it. And it seems that the migration patterns of the fish vary more about the habitat they've got And it does what the lake is stocked with. We're also checking their stomach contents. Now, we're checking their movements every three days at different times of the day. So we've got one bass in that lake that's about six pounds that moves over one mile a day every day. It doesn't matter what the temperature is, it moves every day. We've got others that don't move away from an area any bigger than a football field. But the direct answer to that question, I don't really think that bass migration routes are affected by the fish that are in it as much as by what the habitat offers in the lake. Now, at the same time, if the lake's primary source of food is threadfin shad, for example, they're going to chase those shad. Wherever the shad go, that's where the bass are going to go when they feed. So I think that's probably the best answer I can give to that.
0: Well, I compare that to, you know, I hate to oversimplify or be kind of corny about this, but you know, somebody that grows up in a rural area versus people that are in the urban city dwellers.
1: I think there's a lot to that. You know, if a bass grows up in a cove that's an 80-acre cove, it's not likely to leave that cove unless it's pushed out or forced. There's something else that's really interesting about bass is the amount that they move sometimes is related to how big they are. You know, a double-digit bass is a lot less likely to migrate very far as is a bass that's 14 or 15 inches long and has to go out and chase food all the time. You know, a 10-pound bass can make a living by eating that 10-inch bass. For a 10-inch right. bass that's probably got a lot of schoolmates, it's got to go out and chase its food
0: somewhere. Oh, good stuff. And um, Jason, just to let you know, reminder, you've got to send us an email, let you know that you heard your question answered by the pond boss, Bob Lusk, here on the show. You've got a $100 gift card coming your way, providing you send in that email along with your mailing address. Kurt, what's up next? All righty. So we've got our next fast Edge Twitter account question, and this is from Twitter account
1: Catch More Fish, and this is his question to you, Bob. Can you tell if you have a staging area when you catch a bunch of very pale fish and a normal colored fish in the same spot on a ledge. Would it be true that the tail fish just came up from the deep water and the normal colored fish have been up for a while? Not necessarily, Kurt. The way that that works is a largemouth bass's eyes dictate the color of that fish. So how well it can see is going to determine the color. So if, if a pale fish is there, then that means the water's murky or cloudy and dark. But I have watched fish in a live well, and I bet you have too. When you catch pale fish and you put it in a live well with the lid down, that fish changes color within about 15 minutes. So if that fish is pale, I don't think it would be because it's coming up from the deep and the normal colored fish have been there for a while. There's something else going on with that other than that reason right there. Huh, interesting. So for a further explanation for myself, when a fish is deep, there would be less light penetration and those types of environmental situation because they're obviously much farther down in the water column. Does that affect their color? Because typically you find these things kind of in the wintertime, you know, or at least I I see a lot of pale-colored fish in the wintertime. So is that a product of that, you know, their sight and what they can see? Okay. Yes, the better a fish can see, the darker it gets. So if it can see 15 feet through the water column, that fish is going to be darker. So clear water, darker fish, muddy water, paler fish. Yes, then that would also be the same with uh, the depth that they're living in because they're not going to be able to see as far at a deeper depth as they would maybe at a shallower depth. Would that be correct because of the light penetration? That's correct. That's exactly right. And when you bring that fish up from the depths and you fizz it, and then you put it in the live well you're going to raise the lid up later on it's going to be a different color than when you pulled it up from the deep water awesome well thank you for that explanation and uh, at catch more fish from our twitter account if you could please remember to send us in your name and address so that we can also send you a hundred dollar o'reilly auto parts gift card but recently i was asked a question in a lead series event about the black spots that you find on largemouth bass and uh, what is the cause of some of the these blotches that we'll see on the fish, and why does it seem like you don't see those same traits with smallmouth or spotted bass? I'll tell you, the first time I saw that, I was in my electrofishing boat working on a lake in western Arkansas, and I was on a ranch, and I think there were like seven or eight different small bodies of water on that ranch. We did four or five of them getting toward the end of the day, and we backed the boat in to this one that was probably eight or ten acres, and I bet you we shocked up 30 bass, and 25 of those had that black pigment. And I'd never seen that before. Of course, this was back before Al Gore invented the internet. You couldn't get online and Google and all that kind of stuff. So I got on the phone and started calling some of my colleagues and nobody knew what it was other than they knew that it was melanin which is a pigment and the conclusions we started to come to was that that's a genetic trait in that pond that was handed down by some parents so I believe that that is passed down from fish to fish it's not caused by a disease it's not caused by a virus and actually I have seen it in smallmouth bass I was doing some work Mm -hmm. 8 or 10 years ago on Onondaga Lake up near Syracuse and there were some smallmouth bass there that had that, which kind of surprised me. That's the only time I've seen it it's in upstate New York on smallmouth bass. But it's not abnormal, it doesn't affect the fish, doesn't affect their behavior, but I think it's a trait kind of like a birthmark in people.
0: Well, that's good to hear because you just broke a big myth in the Ozark area, the Highland Reservoir Lakes. You know, that was always kind of labeled as well, that's because there's so much limestone around and so much of the conditions and the water being clear and all that type of stuff. So it pays to have people on that's in the No, I have found that out
1: actually since then, I bet you I've seen it in 15 states. It's not common to see it, but it's not rare in the sense of the word. And it seems to be in pockets. If it's in a few fish in this lake, it's in quite a few fish in this lake because I can't prove this, but I believe it's an inherited trait. That's what I think it is. Well
0: That's good stuff right there. And hey, last episode, Bob, on our last series here, before we shut it down, we had a question posed to BASS Elite Pro Angler Kevin Short, and I think it would be a great experience for all of us to hear kind of your feedback on on this question as well, and it came from Matthew Irvin through our Facebook page, and Matt asked, I live in East Tennessee, and the lake I fish doesn't have any grass, so we are using Christmas trees and other artificial fish attractors in order to create some cover. How should I go about positioning such attractors to be more effective?
1: I love that question, and I'll tell you my take on it. Early on in my fisheries career, especially in small waters, and I'm just going to talk about small waters, then I'm going to shift gears into bigger waters. I figured out that most lakes Stratify in the summer halfway down. And like in a small private lake, if there's 20 feet of water, you can pretty well bet that the thermocline is going to be at 10 feet most of the time in the summertime. So I began to figure out that, by golly, I needed to have all the structure above that point. So I would vary it from water five feet down to maybe 10 feet. And then as I started studying bass movements more and more and more, the question earlier about the migratory habits, they migrate oftentimes according to the season as well. And if they've got structure or cover to where they want to migrate, with that season, they're going to be more likely to congregate to it. And here's what I mean. In the springtime, they're going to stage to spawn, so they're coming up pretty shallow from the wintertime depth. And then after they spawn, they're going to do their summer patterns where they go out and they hang out in the thermocline or right close to the thermocline. So the way I would position those is I would vary the depth that I put structure in. Now, one thing I've noticed when I'm doing structure, man, I'm always looking for points. If I can find an underwater hump or a point coming off the side, especially a windswept point, that's where I'm going to put my Christmas trees or my fish attractors at a varying depth because the bass likes to choose depth based on the temperature first and oxygen second. They're trying to find the optimum temperature that their body can operate, being cold-blooded. You know, when the water temperature gets above about 82 or 83 degrees, that's hot. So they're going to be going deeper so they can find cooler water. So vary the depths, make sure that that structure is vertical so the fish can migrate up and down and then move out into deeper water. So I would vary the depths make it vertical. In a larger lake that stratifies deeper, then you're going to want some of that structure in deeper water. Now, as far as type of materials, you know, if we're making some brush piles, you see the things that you can buy at retail outlets, the PVC or a Christmas tree. You got all kinds of types of wood. Is there a specific type of material that you think works best, that maybe it attracts more algae to create better environment for bait fish, or what kind of material do you feel like is good stuff to utilize for sinking brush or making artificial cover. i tell you what, I love that because that adds some thought to the whole process. I just got to be working to design about a 10-acre lake for an individual, and we built a peninsula that was probably 40 feet long, and we ringed that peninsula with trees. We had to take some trees out of the base of the lake. So I love wood for largemouth bass. But what we also did, we left part of the canopy of the tree intact, and then we stuck some cedar trees down inside the canopy. So Mm. here's the point that I'm making. If you've got something that's attractive to a largemouth bass, and when we put the trees in the water, we put them at a 45-degree angle so the bass could choose the depth they wanted and still be adjacent to the trunk of that tree. But around the periphery of that, that's where we put things like Christmas trees that are dense. And the dense cover always attracts tiny bait fish. And at some point, those little bait fish will emerge from that. And when they do, if you are in pretty close proximity to where the bass like to hang out, then not only have you created an area to attract bass, you've also got a Luvi's cafeteria where they can go eat, you know. <laughs> nice. So you still can nice. with one stone. Nice. I've got to take advantage while I've got you on the phone here. We might be going over
0: time a little bit here. But hey, it's all good. The information's flowing, buddy.
1: <laughs> My next question that, that I have personally is I'm Always interested in bed fishing. I mean, it's just so much fun. You know, we talked to uh, Randy How last episode, and he was talking about how much he loved throwing a floating worm because he can visually see the strike. And There's nothing like watching the behavior of a fish on a bed. And of course, you know, we're in that time of year, mid to late April, that there's lots of bed fishing going on all over the country. Being conservation-minded, how does catching bass on beds affect the fish population and the young of the year? Zero. <laughs> Zero. Let me ask yeah, let, let me tell you how. I think that's okay. more of an ethical question than it is a biological question. And let me kind of satisfy the minds about the biology of this work. Yeah, you better was,
0: because you just had about half of our audience just come through the roof and the other half are <laughs> like saying like see I told you <laughs>
1: Right. Okay. All right. Let me deal with that because it's it's a numbers game. When a bass is taken off the bed, even if it's only for 15 or 20 minutes or even 30 seconds, it leaves that bass bed vulnerable to predation. Something can come in and eat the eggs right then. And then it also, you run the risk of that bass going back to that bed and exhibiting normal behavior protecting it. So that's the risk of catching a fish off the bed. Now, the consequences of the entire population of fish, when a fish spawns, it's hard whole life's mission is to replace itself. So let's just take one bed where there's, say, a five-pound female that lays the eggs, and there's a three-quarter pound male guarding those eggs. When that five-pound female lays those eggs, there's going to be somewhere between 20 and 60,000 eggs. And depending on the size body of water, how many of those babies need to survive to replenish the stock? And most of us believe in catch and release anyway. So if the mission is to replace the fish that go away through attrition, harvest, cormorants eating them, or whatever, all you really need for a lake is if you get one pair of bass that can successfully spawn in a cove, they've filled that lake back up with bass. So that's why it's biologically not really relevant if you're sight fishing a bit. Great
0: news. That is, <laughs> that's good stuff right there. Bob, we've known you a long time. You've been with us since the beginning of Bass Edge, dating back to 2005, 2006. And, you know, we always used to say that you're the Robert Trent Jones, uh, you know, the golf course designer for the <laughs> bass fishing world. But, you know, the more I think about that, I think it's going to be compared to when people are designing golf courses, you're the Bob Lusk of the fishing world that basically designs wow. golf courses. And I mean that very sincerely. it's a Always a pleasure to have you on Bass Edge radio, audio, video. I want to encourage listeners to go out to the website because you've got a lot of vignettes that's on there that's talking about these very things. In the meantime, though, just want to thank you for stopping by the Bass Edge studio and really helping us answer these questions. Any thoughts you would like to leave us with before we close this down?
1: I'd say it's always a pleasure. And this series of questions, very thoughtful. You know, the older I get, the more I realize I don't know. And it's exciting to be able to hear these kinds of questions that are coming from thoughtful anglers you know each one of these questions had a level of depth that i don't normally hear and what i do every day so uh it's a pleasure to hang out with you guys if they want to stay in touch with me go to pondboss.com you know we've got a pretty good forum going on there lots of good information as well so man thanks for letting me hang out let's do it again Let's don't take long let's do it again quick yes sir we we certainly will it's been great chatting bob bass edge radio
2: will be back in a minute Oh, 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 O'Reilly. At O'Reilly Auto Parts, you're guaranteed to get the everyday low price on the parts you need. Our guaranteed low prices ensure you're always getting our best deal. In fact, we'll match any local auto parts store's price on any like item. We have the parts you need at prices you can be sure of at
0: O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. Oh, oh,
2: oh, O'Reilly. Three. Auto Parts.
1: What a treat that was pleasure getting a double knockout on interviews today with, of course, you know, the first one with Dr. Jordan. Learned a lot about eyewear and the different needs and reasons that that's such an important factor in being able to become better anglers and improve what we're already doing out there on the water.
0: Well, you hit the nail on the head, you know, become better anglers, become better consumers. And of course, that's bookended by uh, the pond boss, Bob Lusk, and talking about the several different questions that we had coming in. And I'm very thrilled that we're able to bring uh, multiple questions to the stage and O'Reilly's willing to back it up with continued support through their generous contributions of the $100 gift cards. So keep those questions, you know, rolling, but also don't forget to send in your contact information and email to let us know that you heard those questions so that we can get those sent out to you.
1: For sure, Aaron. And all of this a product of the feedback. So Bass Edge Nation, keep the questions coming. I know we can't get to all of them all the time, but then we really appreciate hearing all the feedback, through the twitter account at bass edge of course through our facebook account and as always through our email support at bassedge.com
0: absolutely thank you to the listeners for tuning in to this extended version of bass edge radio episode number 182 presented by megaware keelguard i am aaron martin and for kurt dove and the rest of the bass edge staff we'll see you for the next episode number 183 airing may 1st so long everybody
2: The Edge is presented by KeelGuard. For more information on Bass Edge or to shop at the Bass Edge online store, visit BassEdge.com. And be sure to join Kurt Dove and Aaron Martin right here on another episode of The Edge. Brought to you in part by Legend Boats, O'Reilly Auto Parts, Lucas Oil Products, ProtectTheHarvest.com, Mercury Marine, PowerPole, and Rapaholic.com.